Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's Mandalorian episode where we're talking all about Chapter 21, The Pirate, directed by Peter Ramsey and aired on March 29th, 2023. I loved this episode. It was loaded with a lot of things that happened in it. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised that I really liked this one. Peter Ramsey was a co-director on Into the Spider-Verse. And we talked about him on the show uh, a couple episodes back when we were speculating about The Mandalorian because he is one of those directors who has also dabbled in directing animation. So there's a little bit of like a kinship there, I guess, with the Dave Filoni's of the world. And <laughs> It's also rumored that he, it's not rumored, he put it in his bio and then he removed it. I think he's directing a couple episodes of Ahsoka too. So <laughs> this is his first, um, his first like foray into the Mandalorian episode. So I really liked it. What'd you think? This was, you know, Wednesday this week in Star Wars between uh, was a lot. the Bad was a Batch lot. <laughs> and the Mandalorian was so much. And I think I just need, we just need to talk about Zeb right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about the animation uh, connection of it all with, with the Dave Filoni's of the world, I think is what you said. Mm-hmm. But the double take I did when Zeb walked onto the screen. <laughs> it was the best ever. He looked, they did such a so good job good. on this character. I can't believe Steve Bloom did the voice. I mean, of course I can, but I think the character looked exactly like I think the character should look like I have no notes no none everything it was it was so great and it was such a surprise moment I think I've seen this quote circulating a lot and I don't have it directly in front of me but Ryan Johnson has said how important it is to have those delight moments and this is one of those delightful moments that yeah it makes sense for Zeb to be here of course number one where's Callus? but right (laughs) it's it's just great and then not only do we get a shot of live action Zeb, but in the same shot is Dave Filoni in a now canonical cowboy hat. <laughs> I say that, but you know who does have a cowboy hat? Cad Bane. Cad Bane. It's, yes. I, I wouldn't say it's exactly a cowboy hat, but... Uh, <laughs> it's pre- I think it's pretty much a cowboy it's hat. It's cowboy hat-esque. Yeah. And then also Rick Famuyiwa is there and also Deborah Chow. Mm. They're all sitting around the bar. And just, Wow. What a what a minute on film! <laughs> just uh, that was that was so delightful. It it really was, yeah. When he first walked on screen, I, my brain couldn't keep up mm-hmm. with what I was mm-hmm. seeing, and I was like, "Am I hearing this voice correctly?" My brain was so confused. It was like, "Is this right?" <laughs> I was like, wait, is that really Zeb? Is it just another Lasat? And I was like, wait, you idiot. That's the whole point. There aren't that many Lasats. I know. I was doing the same thing. I was like, but the the whole like genocide of the Lasats, like it's it has to be Zeb. If it's not Zeb, what's the point? And then I was like, <laughs> it's like it is Zeb. That is Zeb's Zeb. voice. And then of course, yeah. when I was rewatching the episodes, I kept looking like when we when um Captain Tiva comes into the bar, I kept looking to see if Zeb was somewhere else in the scene and he's not but then I was also looking for Callus too and the idea that we could potentially see hot Callus IRL in live action it's a lot for me to process and handle <laughs> I know I know anyway I know. It, it just it really was so delightful and um, I saw a tweet from someone this week who posted a picture of the rebels uh, mural and was basically like going back in time to tell myself to guess 
guess who, which one of these characters I see in live action first. <laughs> right. You know, I was thinking about that and I was like, actually, Chopper was the first. Okay. Yeah, that is true. Chopper. Even is though I know, I know what, yeah. like, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just, anyway, I loved the Zev inclusion. I hope we see him again. So the actor who plays Captain Tiva, Paul Sun Hyung Lee, he said, uh, that Zeb was done through motion capture. So, and and in the credits, it just has Steve Bloom as playing Zeb. So I wonder if Steve Bloom also did the motion capture. And anyway, wow. I'm, I don't know that, but I'm just really excited to hopefully get some behind the scenes about this moment and bringing Zeb to life. Oh, so cool. The fact that the Star Wars Twitter and social media accounts also confirmed it the day after, which seems soon, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but I think... They knew that we were all celebrating. That was great. I, I have, again, no notes. I'm just really excited about it. I also, I was really nervous for Zeb to be a live action character because I think the look is so unique and very alien. And his design comes from an like an original concept art for Chewbacca. And like, there's a reason why they didn't go with that. You know, it's yeah. hard to, <laughs> to make in real life. And I feel like motion capture was the best move here in so many ways. I just couldn't see that character with like a rubber mask. I don't think I would like it. Yeah. Honestly. It, yeah. When you look at stills of Zeb that have been posted online and stuff, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. It, anyway, like we said, no, no. ILM should be very proud because the fans, oh, yeah. this fan at least, <laughs> I, I was very into it. <laughs> These two fans here are super excited. Yeah. <laughs> I think if we want to talk more about the episode and move on from Zeb, mm -hmm. even though I'm sure he's going to come up later again, maybe. A lot of the themes that were present in this episode I thought were really interesting. Like One thing I just don't think we've talked about enough maybe is how the Mandalorian in this season is really setting up the fact that the New Republic has an extreme lack of organization and is providing no protections for independent systems. And when we have a group or a large amount of people like the Mandalorians whose weapons are their religion and have lost their home world. I think it provides an opportunity or story opportunity for them to become protectors. And that's what happened in this episode. And also what I, what I meant to say about what we haven't talked enough about is the fact that we're seeing a lot of cracks in the foundation of the new Republic. If we want to look ahead, it's very clear how the first order could swoop in, in this in this world in which like there's so much bureaucracy around whether or not they have to save an independent system. Yeah. You know, I, w I would say that it's not that the New Republic has a lack of organization. I would say it has a very too fragile organization. organization. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps too much organization and fragile organization. Yeah. Uh, it's clear that they don't have enough manpower to go out to all of these places. And I'm sure there is a sense of they've been lulled into kind of a sense of a false uh, security. Uh, and I think that's part of what Captain Tiva's storyline throughout this episode is kind of hinting at is again, there's something going on with the shadow in the shadows. All of these things are connected between the pirates, between Moff Gideon. And that's the point he's trying to make. And that whole scene, I, I feel like we should just probably start talking about Captain Tiva and, and his kind of journey throughout this episode since it yeah, feels like yeah. well, that's what we're already talking about. So <laughs> going to keep rolling ahead on that. But his whole journey back to Coruscant, which I can never get enough Coruscant ever. 
So just, I love going back to Coruscant. I love seeing how it changes between um, between eras and things like that. I just have such a great time going to Coruscant, and I'm glad we went back to Coruscant. And we have uh, those requisitions officer, Tim Meadows. I don't know the character's name. I don't remember, but it's played by Tim Meadows, which is great. And I loved his little dialogue with the, I believe it's an R5 unit there. <laughs> just goes, you, scoot. <laughs> I don't know why. It was just so funny. So good. It was just so cute. I love the word scoot. And <laughs> I think it was good. But this whole scene was so interesting. And I think speaks a lot to what you were saying earlier, Charlotte, about um, like the lack of organization and uh, the cracks in the New Republic that we're seeing. So we have this kind of one-off between Captain Tiva and Elia Kane is back. And there is such an air of distrust amongst uh, Captain Tiva and Elia. And their whole dialogue in here was was so great and I thought was really uh was really good writing honestly and Aliyah continues to be a very chilling character and I can't wait to see where her storyline continues the things that she brings up n- number one when she comes into the room and Captain Tiva notices that she has I assume I think it's like a badge or something that basically marks her as a former imperial uh mm-hmm. and we know that they go through I can't remember what it's called now, but basically that program where they're reintroduced into society and things like that and given jobs. And here we see that Elia's job is in requisitions, whereas uh, Dr. Pershing's job was in like the archive science center place, the other cubicle land. It's very interesting that Elia is here in requisitions because it means she probably has a lot of intel on where people and things and supplies are going, which I think is important when thinking about what she is or isn't doing potentially with Moff Gideon. And she brings up this when Captain Tiva says he wants support for the people of Navarro. She, you know, does this whole song and dance of Oh, yeah, but they also haven't, like, signed the charter to be in the New Republic. So uh, it looks like our hands are kind of tied. You know, it's the just – The red tape of it all. Yeah. I can't. And she plays it off as sympathetically, like, oh, and the Tim Meadows character is like, yeah, yep, it sucks. But, you know, what are we going to do? People have priority, those in the New Republic. It's just, oh, wow. I am intrigued by the Elias storyline. I do feel like we are – going to link up with Gideon again with her just because I think it's been established now that she's evil. So (laughs) she has an ulterior motive. And when are we going to figure out what that motive is? I think in the epilogue of this episode, we sort of get some clues into where we're going. Like the Gideon thread is now back into the story. I think it had been whispers about how he didn't stand trial or never made it, made it to trial and things like that. And then Tiva just finds this abandoned ship where Gideon has clearly been broken out. And I think, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm curious because I think we're now like jumping into this part of the storyline. But so Tiva finds a piece of Beskar in this ship okay and immediately he links it and the person he's on the phone with links it to the mandalorians what do we think about this because for me i think it's a sort of a red herring to blame the mandalorians but i do think there's a potential for it to be another faction of the mandalorians that broke him out the fact that he had the dark saber means there's a lot of history there too about how gideon got the dark saber i'm not sure i'm not sure i think sabine being someone who could have broken him out 
rings a bell. But for me, this feels like a clue and maybe something to pull them off their scent and to blame the Mandalorians. I don't know. I am so intrigued and can't wait to find out. But I just I do feel like Aliyah has something to do with this. And I it just it, story wise with her character playing a bigger role now Tiva playing a bigger role and finding this out and just the way that this story was woven in the pirate right um in chapter 21 I feel like those things are linked but I'm also willing to be very surprised what do you think it definitely feels like they're linked and I think that's a good point about the best car being a red herring because those kinds of things I think are funny because, you know, uh, Tiva says, oh, it's Beskar alloy. And immediately it's like, oh, the Mandalorians. Um, and I just find it kind of funny that only Mandalorians have ever owned Beskar and no one else in the galaxy has ever gotten their hands on Beskar. <laughs> like this idea that there wouldn't be a black market for Beskar, even though we know that other people have had it. And also it's super rare and like what they're going to leave it behind. I don't understand why they would do that. Well, I think it's just um, I think it's like a residue a bullet or basically. Something. Yeah. yeah. But we know that I can't remember her name, but in the Ahsoka episode from season two of The Mandalorian, she had a Beskar staff and she was a Mandalorian. Oh, so we know that other people have Beskar, but the fact that it's assumed and widely known that 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 material belongs to the Mandalorians, I think is something to make note of because it very much could be a red herring because we've seen Tiva have this uh, pretty good relationship with the Mandalorians in this episode, of course, with the Din and everything that happens with them. And he's very clear at the end uh, after he finds, tells Din about uh, Navarro. He says, you know, I know you guys will move, but I would never tell anyone where you are, yada, yada, yada. So if it is a red herring with the Beskar alloy. Could Tiva turn on the Mandalorians and blame them for Moff Gideon uh, immediately? Or is he going to investigate a little further? Um, if that's the route, then it, I mean, it certainly feels like Aliyah is involved in this somehow, that she's involved in the First Order or what will become the First Order potentially. But I also think there's um, a storyline here that ties into Ahsoka with you know, if Moff Gideon is someone who knows where Thrawn is and if Sabine is involved, you know, it it can make sense that way yeah. too, I think. You know what I mean? That they mm -hmm. would take Moff Gideon to find out information about Thrawn. You're right. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it could go either way. And so I wonder how much Aliyah does know. Um, but I will say, I think one of the things... I think The Mandalorian as a whole, as a show, has completely underutilized Gideon and Giancarlo Esposito. Yes. He's oh God, just, I know. he's so good. He's so freaking good. And I feel like we never get enough Moff Gideon in this show. Even I know. It's always like, where is he? And then he shows up in the last like two episodes and steals the show. And it's great. And, and he, it's really unfortunate. He commits so hard. Like every yeah. time Giancarlo is out in Mandalorian press, he's always like mean to grow. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> so funny. And I just, he's such a good villain. And his, his appearance at the end, you know, capturing baby Yoda, capturing Grogu and 
you know, the whole thing with the dark saber, it was iconic and, and stepping out of the TIE fighter in episode in season one, it's just, it's so good. And I think that he is criminally underused as a big bad in this show, mm-hmm. um, especially with someone who probably has a, a bit of a grudge against Din and now Bo as well. I just, I, it's a critique I have of the show and I can't wait for Gideon to come back into this storyline. I hope really soon. Yeah. Anyway, that's my soapbox about the underutilization of Moff Gideon because he's so Mm -hmm. good and evil. And also to your point about there being cracks in the New Republic is I find it crazy that it is not widely known if Moff Gideon did or did not make it to trial for his war crimes because that feels like something that should be transparent and highly publicized by the people are covering it up exactly exactly so i think that's just another clue here as to the new republic is obviously the good guys but but dot 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 there's a lot of problems issues cover up in this government organization as well. And I, you know, are there people asking questions about Moff Gideon? Like, is there, I forget what they're called, but like the hollow net press or whatever <laughs> they're called at this time, uh, reporters and journalists, like, where are they? Why are they talking about whatever happened to Moff Gideon? Why we haven't heard about his trial, things like that. I just, I find that piece of it very telling as well. It's all a setup. Yeah. And was, we'll find out soon, I think, but Um, It is something interesting to be tracking. Okay, let's talk about the pirates. So we have a pirate episode. (laughs) And it is giving ILM flexing their muscle from making Pirates of the Caribbean. We said this before because Gorian Shard is also like for me is similar to like Davy Jones. Mm -hmm. And that was an industrial light and magic feat. Yeah. So I'm happy that this came around. I wasn't expecting it to come around this fast. If you remember what I I said a couple of episodes ago, I said that it was going to be a longstanding thread, but that's not how it is. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, uh, the pirates were defeated except for Vane. I really enjoyed it. I thought that the campiness of the pirates was awesome. I thought it was so crazy that they actually had a pirate wheel inside the ship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the ship is such a good design. The the Corsair, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. I, just, I like the stripes on the bottom. You know what I mean? It's got those big bands of darker color on the bottom. Uh, I think it's a really cool sinister looking ship and yeah it looks like a pirate ship it does in a lot of it ways. does and pirate king you have to call him pirate king gorian shard you can't just call him <laughs> gorian shard sorry about it pirate king gorian shard i iconic star wars character immediately i think yeah. we talked about this when he was first debuted but it's just like a fever dream and to see him working on the ship and everything like that it was big time giving captain hook shmi pirates of the caribbean his little um first mate big shmi energy uh, there if you ask me yeah that was misty rosa's <laughs> was which it i yeah That's i thought so that was great, great that she, she was back like playing an ugnaught i love and- that me too. <laughs> yeah, I I love him. I'm kind of sad that he's gone, going to be honest. <laughs> he needed to go, but I'm sad to see our green monster gone. <laughs> our mm-hmm. green monster pirate king. 
but our green king. Our green. <laughs> <laughs> there's also there's also like an air of gritty about him mm-hmm. too. You, you know, gritty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just funny. Something I want to say though is back to the theme of the importance of the foundlings, the importance of children in Star Wars. We can't forget that the pirates chose to take over Navarro because Navarro decided to make the bar a school. And it pissed off the pirates so much that they, you know, came back for revenge based off of that. And I I feel like this entire battle was really the pirates being anti-anything for the children. And I just think that really goes with the theme of the Mandalorian in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I was very sad to see the pirates have taken over the school. I mean, I don't yeah, think... rude. Yeah, this <laughs> is so rude. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah you know and of course you know um the din and uh grief killed the other pirates in cold blood too and I think that's kind of what uh pirate king Gorian Chard was chastising grief Karga about at the beginning of the episode with his fantastic hologram um but yeah I think that's a good point about you know them trying to change the planet into something for good and having spaces like schools and protection for children and it being taken away. That being a point of conflict between these these parties, the pirates and then and grief. I really love seeing grief in this role of high magistrate. I think I couldn't have predicted it for this character, but I really love how in the beginning of this episode, he's city planning. He's like, we should move this so that it's closer to this. So it's more convenient for this. And I thought that was great. And every time I see grief in this role, I just think it fills my heart with joy in a lot of ways. And I love how the droid is like, you need to refer to yourself as high magistrate. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I want to know though, what I'm really concerned about is are grief's cape droids okay? Because we didn't, so he wasn't wearing that that. cape that required the cape droids. And then, you know, Navarro got a little singed here and there. And I just want to make sure they're okay. (laughs) I'm really sad that it got destroyed again. When I I saw the gate being ripped in half, I was like, are you kidding me? We're going to have to create a new gate. I hope it's a cool gate that they redo and make it nicer. But I've talked about this damn gate so much on this podcast. (laughs) Where I can't look past its symbology a little bit about the fact that that was destroyed. So Mm -hmm. if we referred to it as the gates of hell before and then it was sort of transformed into a good gate that you walk through and now that gate was destroyed, what is the new gate going to be? I am waiting with bated breath. (laughs) (laughs) They did say, uh, I think it was Tiva to Din, that they were going to blow Navarro to hell. So gates of hell blown to hell. Yes, I guess it, I guess it yeah. kind of connects like that. But you yeah, could, you I was, could think about it that way. I was really sad. To, <laughs> you could do that if you'd like. <laughs> I was really sad to see Navarro uh, blown up. It just it does feel like grief really cares about the citizens. You know, we have his assistant droid at the beginning say, "I've got your escape pod already," and grief is like you know, hell no, I can't leave the citizens. And he even refuses to negotiate with Pirate King Gorian Shard uh, because he doesn't want to set a precedent. And he reaches out to the New Republic, which I believe it was a couple episodes ago, he told Din he wasn't going to 
sign the charter because he didn't want to be under anyone else's control, except he wanted to be an independent system. He wanted Navarro to be. So we really see him kind of going to great lengths to protect the people and, um, you know, do whatever it is he needs to do to try and get help. Um, I did think it was funny. It feels like there are only 30 citizens in Navarro when they go to that little I don't know, outcrop of lava rocks. <laughs> it is quite funny. I was like, maybe but... we could have filmed it just a little differently to <laughs> look like more people. I'm just going to say that maybe the rest of them went underground. Yeah, but down into the sewers like the Mandalorians yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. No, I, no, I think that's fair. <laughs> okay. I think it's funny that we see one of them running with this like new Vogue Hamtono. It isn't the ice cream, the hood ice cream maker anymore. It is way more spacey, updated, nice. <laughs> so like the Camtono uh, 3000. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I, uh, I thought that was hilarious because the, the Camtono just like keeps coming back around. And now when I notice it also like seeing a woman running with this like nice one, I was like, we're doing this again. We're running with it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> She's got all her jewels in there. Yes, probably. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the Mandalorian's part in this because there's a lot that was threaded into this episode. I feel like when Tiva came to the den where the Children of the Watch are, I have something to say about this. I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but I noticed a peace sign, like a very clear shadowed peace sign on the opening of the cave when Tiva arrived. And I don't know what to think about that, especially in light of our conversation last week about the children of the watch. I don't really have anything to add to that, but it felt very deliberate. And in a show in which I know that they control the lighting so much based off of the, the volume, I feel like that was purposeful, which I was perhaps like foreshadowing the way that this conversation was going to go and the way that Paz was going to accept this mission and except Din's calling, I guess, to Navarro. The conversation around the fire with Paz and when Din talking about going to Navarro, Paz's conversation really threw me. I was extremely surprised. I don't know about you. I really thought that he, which is the point of the entire scene, I think, I really thought he was going to be like, we need to throw Din out. He's making us do so much. But I was surprised by his willingness to go to Navarro to protect Navarro, which is a calling that he individually didn't have but it seems like the children of the watch are looking towards the future and that even comes later with Bo and the armorer I'm just surprised by this and I really I like this addition into the fact that in the first episode of the season we have grief showing Din that he could have a plot of land where he could raise Grogu but it's more than that in this episode it's really discussed that it could be more than just Din and Grogu it could be the entire clan and they don't have to live in the sewers anymore they can rise above and live in the light and I thought that was a big moment and this realization it really threw me and it it shook me and I really like the direction that it's going and I, I'm surprised that I like the direction where it's going you know I'm really thankful that we had that conversation last week about where we stand with who the children of the watch are and what they're becoming because it feels like there is an evolution that is happening especially i felt that majorly in this episode it kind of feels like at the end of the episode with the armor and bow that after they get this land on navarro that the armorer 
really feels like there is potential for them to live in the light again as it is uh, or to not be underground any longer. Um, I will say just to comment a little briefly on Paz and that whole conversation, I too was really surprised, especially when he starts started talking about uh, how the, you know, they lost so many brothers and sisters protecting this one small foundling, <laughs> the way he said it. <laughs> and the, the camera so think, pointed to Grogu. I was like, Grogu, don't feel guilty, my guy. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I also got to say, I think that Paz Bizla sounds a lot like John Favreau, which I think is, do you, do you hear right. it? So it used to be John Favreau was the voice of Paz Vizsla, and now it's not. It's the guy who does the that's, acting. That's what I couldn't remember. So there was debate in our Discord, actually, about this. Yeah, so he does intentionally sound like John because he used to be John Favreau. But there's been a switch in which John doesn't play Paz anymore, which is interesting and does it potentially lead to the helmet coming off? Because if the helmet comes off, like obviously we want the voice to match that, right? And it's not going to be John Favreau. It's going to be the person who's inside the the mask. It'd be funny if it was. So, are we pointing towards that? I th- I think it's kind kind of an interesting question. I also get the sense, and I'm just going to put this out there, that Paz is going to die. I just feel like they're really building him up as now a character who we know by name and we know his motivations and we know that he has a change of heart and things like that. I feel like a sacrifice is going to happen soon, but maybe that's just on the brain. And I, yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you feel that? No. I felt like he was going to die in this episode. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not putting okay. that out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you, do you like Paz? you want him to live? I you like pa- him? Paz to live. I don't think I ever okay. fully For disliked Paz. Yeah. I do think it's funny that, you know, Ragnar was, Ragnar, Ragnar was not uh, Ragnar. at the, I always want to say Ragnarok and I'm like, wrong franchise, <laughs> um, was not uh didn't go to Navarro too. Like no other kids went, but Grogu, he went. <laughs> He's sitting in, in the lap, lap yeah. of his dad. I mean, yeah, uh, I know. think he needs a car seat. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, also before we leave uh, <laughs> the cave, um, the fact that they use the armor's hammer as a, a talking stick, a p- spirit stick, is just. <sighs> It's so silly, so perfect, (laughs) of course. And you were never in a sorority, Charlotte, but I was in a sorority. And the talking stick is a very real thing. And I just think it's it's so funny. (laughs) When the armor takes it back, she's like, does anyone else want to say something? I was like, oh, no, they're really going with this. (laughs) And it's the hammer. (laughs) It's just so funny. Uh, I loved it. And that was kind of all I wanted to (laughs) say about that. But I, I got to say, you know, I think you and I tend to not 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 enjoy, but the the battles, the pew, 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 um, the infiltration of stuff. I think sometimes that's not always our favorite parts of episodes. Uh, I think they're great. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, if you're listening to Sky Talkers, you know, but <laughs> we've talked. About I love this a battle. Before. No, it's I love a battle. What too. I love to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there's not as much to talk about with them, I guess is yeah. what we should say. But I I enjoyed this infiltration of Navarro. I liked that there was a good back and forth of who had the upper hand in a given uh, situation, whether it was the pirates or the Mandalorians. And of course, we have the the comedy relief of the Babu Fricks (laughs) in there. (laughs) 
<laughs> in their little uh, shop. You know, everyone I'm come obsessed. and look. I'm and, obsessed. And then at the end, too, when they were jumping up and down, they're like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> All right. Great. Cool. But <laughs> I love them. I love them. I'm so surprised how much I love I know, them. I especially because just... I did not like the Babu Frick scenes in, in The Rise of Skywalker, but I'm really happy for their inclusion here. I love <laughs> that I'm having my own uh come to Jesus with with the Babu Fricks of the galaxy. Frickassance. <laughs> it's me. I'm in my Frickassance. Happy to be here. But <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed this whole kind of action sequence. And I mean, I had forgotten how amazing it is to see the armor kick some ass. Like she is so cool. There's still something about her that puts me a little on edge as far as if we trust her, if we don't trust her. But anytime she gets to get in on the action is just incredible. I think really, you know, we see her in uh, the book of Boba Fett uh, fighting, right? She's fighting Din um, with the Darksaber and teaching him how. But the last time we kind of saw her go hard like this was season one of The Mandalorian um, when she's fighting those guys in the forge, which was fantastic. And we were all like, whoa. <laughs> so yeah, when, she, awesome. when she comes up into, I believe it's Grief's office where this takes place and you just see her with the hammer you you know it's coming and it was incredible. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for her to get another weapon besides the hammers if I'm being honest. No, but she doesn't need it. I think it's funny that the hammer is playing two time as weapon, as forger, as talking, talking stick. <laughs> so it does sort of feel like she I think she needs a new weapon. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't think it should be the dark saber, but I I don't know. I think she needs an upgrade. What if she gets the best car staff? Okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Anyway, but I don't know. I like I I like her hammer. Yeah, I, I like her hammer too. I just feel like everyone else has so many different weapons. But that's the and thing. Guns. She doesn't. She need doesn't need it. it. She's so ancient. Yeah, yeah I know. She's so <laughs> in touch with the old ways. <laughs> the great Let's forge. Let's talk about the armor and the great forge and the bow scene. I was on it. What about you? Oh, I was very much on edge. There's still something about all of this that super confuses me <laughs> in our thought process I don't trust here. It. I don't know if I trust it because even Bo hesitating to take off the helmet when she's asked, her saying, remove your helmet, do you respect my station? I mean, I was like, <laughs> Well, I was like, this? I was like, what is your station, Armor? <laughs> and and I I you know is she just the de facto leader? Who is the armorer? She went to the Great Forge on Mandalore. I just who is she? Who I is know, she? and she has that Maul Darth Maul um, style helmet. So what what part of the clan is she from? I, there's still so much to learn about the armorer because we know so little, and yet she is their leader. I find it really fascinating, but. The fact is, she asked Bo Katan to remove her helmet, and she seemed to have a reversal about the mythosaur and believing her about the mythosaur. Fascinating. So she says, our people have strayed away from the way. It is not enough for a few to walk it. We must walk it together. We must walk the way together, all Mandalorians. Bo says, I understand. If last episode on the podcast we were talking about they need to evolve in order for me to understand where the what we think about 
um, Children of the Watch as a group. This feels like an evolution, but I'm still unsure if I trust it all. Yeah, I don't know. because the, So the rest of the conversation goes, the armorer says, I was taught that the mythosaur existed only in legends, and yet you saw it. it. It is a sign that the next age is upon us. Mandalore must all come together. You have walked both worlds. You are the one that can unite us. And then later on, after they get to uh, reunite with the other Mandalorians, and everyone is shocked to see Bo without her helmet, uh, the armorer says, Bo-Katan Kreese is going off to bring other Mandalorians. Mandalorians in exile to us so that we may join together once again. Bo-Katan walks both worlds and she can bring all tribes together. It is time to retake Mandalore. It doesn't, for some reason, this doesn't feel like an evolution. It feels, I think you had wrote this in the notes of giving Bo a free pass. I'm still kind of unsure of what the armor, if the armor has other motivations, because Honestly, I was thinking about Mayfeld in the Believer episode of your rules seem to change depending on how desperate you are or what you need at any given moment. And Mayfeld says that as a way to call out Din, I think, and make him think uh, fully through what it is to be a Mandalorian and what this whole keep the helmet on thing is really all about. And it feels like the armorer kind of is changing the rules to get something out of it. And if if she knows that the other Mandalorians won't accept Bo because of Bo's association with the children of the Watch. Just or lack of Darksaber. La- yeah, you know. Because that, that already happened. I don't, with her. I know. So I, I don't know. I, this was like when Bo says, I understand, I put in the notes, okay, cool, because I don't necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I just think there are still a lot of questions here. And it is crazy to me. I, if there's one other critique I have, um, aside from the underutilization of Moff Gideon, I think it is the fact that, uh, the armorer now believes that Bo saw the mythosaur when, you know, just last episode, she it was very clear that she didn't that she thought it was a vision so i kind of would have liked to see her say something i don't know else about this and be like did you really see it you know and bo was like yeah i really did and mm. you know the armor was like okay or, you know i don't know it's just it's strange to me that we go there's this big leap and we don't really see the armor talk about it Yeah, I think my perspective about that is how much of a leader Bo has become within the Children of the Watch. I mean, even on the ship, she was explaining how important Navarro is, how they could walk in the light. She was explaining this to the armor. I feel like the armor is having this realization that Bo is an asset. And I mean, Din proved that he went to the living waters. There was that magical water situation that she saw. So I'm I'm accepting the fact that she can stew on this and see how much of a leader Bo was to understand that. And that maybe that was just a gut reaction. But I think there's something to note about who should be the true ruler of Mandalore. It's also something that we should mention is that Bo has already actually gone through this before. Yeah. <laughs> she... Uh, had this in Rebels, she did not think she was worthy to rule Mandalore and wield the Darksaber. And then her people decided that she was. 
And I find I don't I'm not saying that the Mandalorian is forgetting that because I I think that would that happened a long time ago previous to this story. And maybe that's what the armorer means by you walked both worlds because she actually has led the Mandalorians before, right? I don't know. I feel like the story has really shifted to focus on Bo when Din Djarin feels like the person who is I love Bo Katan. I'm not saying that I don't. I really do. And I want to see more of her story. And I think that this is her inclusion in the season has been amazing. But I do think we're fo- focusing, we've taken the focus off of Din. Din has the Darksaber. Din has has a, a son now who also has walked both worlds, Jedi and Mandalore. Hello. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. I think that there's either going to be a clash or a recognition, or maybe this is just a way to bring Sabine into this clan. And I also think that there's, <laughs> that's I just slipped that in there, but <laughs> there's something also about the fact that they are so low in numbers. This clan is shrinking day by day based off of sacrifices and people are dying. So they need to build up their numbers. <laughs> so there is a, a sense of survival that comes with the armor in which she's like, all right, well, we accepted this new person. That turned out to be great with Bo. So let's see if we can get more like her if she has more to give. And we'll see how that works out. I think it's a risk, but I also think there's other people who have walked both ways, like Grogu. I mean, um, what does it mean to walk in both worlds? Both ways. Well, both worlds. Just, um, I know. You know. Is it just like you took off the helmet? That's what I can read it as. Because... Din also walked both worlds then, but he was thrown out for walking both worlds, which is my whole issue with the Children of the Watch, even though now he is quote-unquote redeemed. So I think there's there's a lot of reckoning that needs to happen. I've heard through the grapevine that Bryce Dallas Howard is directing next episode, so <laughs> I'm excited about that. There's a lot of confusing motives here. I was sort of... My take from this, even though we're having this conversation of back and forth about what the armor meant, my take from this was really hopeful. I was like, wow, we're pushing in terms of the story, we're pushing it forward on how we define this clan, how we define the Mandalorians, and we're going to grow in numbers. So then is the new age that the armor talks about a world, a new age where everyone takes off their helmet or one where all the Mandalorians come back and all put on their helmet? Because she wants them all to come together. We must walk the way together. And the way is feels like it's how they're defining it right now. Yeah. So I feel like that's going to be a clash, but maybe it won't be like that. I don't know. She's yeah. she does say the sign that the next age is upon us with the mythosaur. So maybe she's open to redefining, but not sure. Who knows? <laughs> not clear. Not sure. I'm just I'm just not sure. I, her saying it's Mandalore must all come together. The mythosaur is a sign of a next age is upon us means evolution to me, and I think that that is crucial for me to not think about this clan as a sort of fundamentalist organization in a negative light, you know? I think so too. I just think there's still so many unknowns about the armorer and her station. This whole exchange, this whole sequence of scenes was honestly kind of confusing for me and what we were all talking about. I thought for sure at the beginning that she was also going to take off her helmet too. Anyway, I I hear what you're saying and I agree, but 
I'm also hesitant about what is coming next. And in some ways, it just feels kind of easy for the armor to be like, yeah, Bo can take off her helmet now to go get recruits. Because again, it, it reminds me of Mayfeld and, you know, what are the rules and how often are you changing them to fit your needs? Uh, yeah, that's like what that. Rick Famuyiwa said to our question, right? When we talked to him earlier in the month, we asked about that one episode with Mayfeld. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I don't have the exact quote in front of us, but you can find it on our podcast or like all social media. <laughs> he said something about your rules exist only, if your rules exist only to a certain point, what do you even stand for? And that's exactly what is happening here. So are we redefining the rules then? Is the armor open to that? For me, that is kind of how I interpreted it, but I think it could go either way. And maybe that's part of the mystique of the end of this episode. Yeah, I think so. So I think this will be something we kind of look on later, uh, maybe at the end of the season or even next week's episode to see to see the armor's actions in a new light once we have more context. Yeah, definitely. I I was surprised how much I liked this mm-hmm. this one. Um, can't wait, can't wait for next week. Even though I don't think we're going to be covering this next week episode because we're going to be in London, and we'll do a combined episode after we get back yeah. with episodes with the next two. Yeah, yeah, I think that is the current plan. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm excited to see what happens next. We have what three episodes left of the season, so yeah. we are barreling towards the finale. Yeah. And I better see Moff Gideon soon. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. (laughs) Well, is there anything else you want to say about this episode, The Pirate? No. I just want to comment that this is our last episode before Star Wars Celebration, and we are leaving in three days. Mm. (laughs) Basically only have two full days left until we leave. and. Uh, this is crazy that we've come so far. It's like the last thing on the list to check off, at least for me. Um, I am so excited. And if you're going to be at Celebration, please come to our live show on Sunday at 1 p.m. on the Holonet News stage. And we hope to see you there. Yes, we will be in room 14 of the Holonet News stage, April 9th, 1 p.m. Please come and see us. But all right, I think that is going to wrap up this episode all about Mandalorian, Chapter 21, The Pirate. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to find us elsewhere online to talk about anything Star Wars, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. You can find us pretty much anywhere if you search SkyTalkers. Uh, and we would love if you gave us a follow. And if you are listening right now, we would love if you would take a screenshot of you listening in real time and share it to your Instagram story, Twitter, TikTok, anywhere you like to post uh, on social media and tag us and we will reshare it too. And it helps other people find our show. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Britt, Stefan, Mercedes, Logan, Nat, Kat, Another Skywalker, Fernanda, John, Lindsay, Timothy, Arzu, Patrick, 
Matthew, Molly, Blast Points, Angela, Chris, Daniela, Stephanie, Talia, Talking Bay 94, Heidi, Stephen, Alex, and Paul. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.